Octa Non Verba is a show that's raw and real, featuring hard-hitting interviews with people that live by the ethos of actions, not words. Marcus Aurelius Anderson is a TEDx speaker, best-selling author, veteran, and leadership and mindset coach. With this show, you get to join Marcus as he goes inside the minds and experiences of the world's most successful warriors, leaders, entrepreneurs, and experts. With each episode, you're going to get the philosophies, concepts, tactics, and strategies these leaders use to turn adversity into victory. Live an extraordinary life based on actions, not words. Now, here's your host, Marcus Aurelius Anderson. In this episode of Octonom Verba, we hear part two of my interview with former extreme skier, author of The Art of Fear, and keynote speaker, Kristen Ulmer. In part one, Kristen shares why current treatments for depression, anxiety, and other emotional issues are only temporary solutions, and how we can work with fear in order to create a long-lasting result. We also explored why we actually need fear in our lives, why some people struggle with anxiety, and why others do not and how you can change your relationship with fear in order to find peace and thrive. You can hear part one on episode 94 of Octonom Verba. Also check out kristenulmer.com to learn more about her monthly support calls and other upcoming events. And now please enjoy part two of my interview with the fearless Kristen Ulmer. You know, this is only part of the conversation too. At this point, we're just discussing why people struggle emotionally so much. And If you have a problem in your life, it could be emotional, it could be physical, it could be psychological, it could be mental, it could be spiritual, could be a physical health issue like lower back pain. Your fear will live in whatever place it is, if it's trapped in your body, that's going to most get your attention. It'll travel into your mind. So that's the first part of the conversation. Like if people struggle or have an issue, and like let's even look at COVID, you know, there are people that are in denial of their fear. And so they're in denial of COVID. I mean, we should be afraid of COVID and they're claiming the politicians are using fear as a weapon to, well, the politicians are scared out of their mind. We're all scared out of our minds. And some people are scared of getting COVID and other people are scared of getting the vaccine. The people that aren't getting the vaccine, they're just more afraid of getting the vaccine than they are of getting COVID. But it's all about fear. All of our decisions are based on fear. And a lot of people are in denial of this. Well, I'm not going to be, you know, let the government scare me into, well, you're scared of being seen as being afraid to, I mean, it's just fear, fear everywhere. And so that's the first part of the conversation. But this podcast is about learning how to thrive. So it's not a matter of learning how to be in flow with fear and having a healthy flowing relationship with fear, just so that you don't feel like shit all the time and have your emotions just trapped in your body and just giving them magical powers and spending your whole life trying to win a war against these emotions. Like that's no life. Fighting fear, fighting fear, fighting fear, death. But there's a whole nother conversation. And this is kind of taking me back to what I did during my ski career that helped me be the best in the world and is the secret behind people who take huge risks in their lives yet can still sleep at night though, mind you, and are rising to their greatest potential is what these people are doing is they have a healthy flowing relationship with fear. And then that fear just helps them bring their A game to everything that they do. And so there's actually two parts to it. Like if you look at anybody that's accomplished anything that seems scary to the rest of us, they're not fearless. It's not possible. You know, when I became a, a fear expert, 
I Googled it and Googled it. There's nobody on the planet that's willing to label themselves as an expert on what to do about fear. Lots of people have opinions about it, but nobody in the world, think about that. We're talking about fear. Like there's nobody out there that's willing to call themselves a fear specialist or fear expert. Why? I realized it's because we would expect them to be fearless. And we would also expect them to teach other people how to be fearless. But that is impossible. Nobody is willing to put themselves on the meat slab and make those claims because it's impossible. And turns out, in my opinion, it's not even in my opinion. It just, it flat out is undesirable because it's just kink hose. You can get away with kinking the hose for about 10 years and then you're just, your life starts to just come unraveled. I mean, there's a reason why like gymnasts are burnt out at age 17. They're just exhausted from ignoring their fear. And, you know, it just, like I said, any problem. So then back to what I was saying though, is people who do incredible things with their lives, they are not fearless. It's not only impossible, but it's undesirable. Like even if you have a daughter or a son who seems fearless, they're not fearless. Here's what that is. They like feeling fear. Let's back up. They're willing to feel fear and they may even like feeling fear. Do they know that they do this? Absolutely not. Because when you like feeling fear and when you're willing to feel fear, it doesn't feel like anything other than presence, focus, excitement, sharp, on point, like aliveness, like that lit up eyes of aliveness and excitement. Like that's your fear. So it it starts with a willingness to feel fear and maybe even an enjoyment of feeling fear. And that's fear that you choose. Like, okay, I want to start a new business. If you're held up at gunpoint, that's a different conversation. But then the second thing is that people who do incredible things with their lives yet can still sleep at night, they have an intimate relationship with fear. And that's the secret right there. Not fearlessness, but intimacy with fear. And then you're in a flow state you're living your biggest life because you're just constantly expanding who you are because you're constantly willing to take risks and stepping out of your comfort zone. And this is how Alex Hunnell pre-soloed El Capitan. He doesn't have a damaged amygdala. Pre-solo a movie that won an Oscar, I think 2019. It without question the scariest thing that any human has ever done in the history of not just sports, but probably the world. I don't think anyone would argue that. They tested his brain and they're like, oh, he has a damaged amygdala. I talked to him for a couple hours about fear and he's like, that's ridiculous. I don't have a damaged amygdala. I feel fear just like everybody else. But the secret to how he expanded who he was be big enough to be able to do this incredible thing is a willingness to feel fear and enjoyment of feeling fear and intimacy with fear when he was out of his comfort zone. And the fear becomes his Robin that helps him bring his a game to make sure that he does not screw up. So those are the two conversations, like King Toes becomes your whole world. You feel like crap. You have all sorts of problems unique to you. On King Toes, you rise to your greatest potential. So this is a long way of saying your relationship with fear is the most important relationship of your life because it's a relationship that you have with your own body, with your own self. Like if you hate fear, you hate yourself. Like however you treat fear just determines so much about how you feel. It's the most important relationship of your life, not just because that way you can have a healthy relationship with your own body and it's a self-love practice to learn how to love fear, but it's so that you can have a healthy flowing relationship with the nature of life itself. And you do not want to 
pick a fight against the nature of life itself either. So I think that this is hands down the most important personal work that people can do in their lifetimes is learn how to have a healthy flowing relationship with fear, make friends with it. It just determines everything. I agree. It's the way I feel about adversity. I say that the way that we conduct ourselves in the heat of adversity is an indication of how we will do everything else in our life. And if we can have that on, even you were mentioning about what courage means. It doesn't mean that there's lack of fear. It means you have a beautiful definition for it. Courage is a willingness to feel fear. Not to deny it, not to close your eyes, not to act like it's not there. Running towards the scary thing, not away. Oh, which brings up an interesting point. This is a big moment. Fear doesn't hold anybody back from doing anything. Really let that sink in. Fear doesn't hold anybody back from doing anything. It's our unwillingness to feel fear that holds us back which is very different. And the other thing that I've learned, these are the two biggest ahas that I've had in 35 years of being obsessed with this conversation about fear. The awful feeling we associate with fear, it isn't even fear. That's not fear. The awful feeling that we associate with fear is actually our, I don't want to feel this, or there's something wrong with me that I feel this. That's what feels so awful. Like it's our resistance to feeling fear. Like case in point, I owned a flying trapeze school for a while. And I would just go there like with pen and paper and I just watch people because <laughs> that's my thing. I'm, I'm all about fear. And like you'd see one woman going up and cl- the ladder is like the scariest part, 20 feet tall and it's up to this platform suspended in the sky. And, and I mean, you're going to do this. It's incredibly scary. So one girl walks up there and she's like, she's grinning. Her eyes are like saucers. She gets up there and she's like, how do I do this? Oh my God. Oh my God. And then she lets go and she swings. Right. And then she falls to the net and she's like, oh my gosh, this was like the best moment of my year. She wasn't fearless. She was enjoying her fear and she was willing to feel fear and she had intimacy with her fear. And it became one of the best experiences of her year. Next girl goes up the ladder. And she starts to feel fear, but she has a relationship with it where she feels like there's something wrong with her if she feels fear or it's a sign to back off. So fear is supposed to lead to fight, freeze or flee action in the face of the situation. But because there's so much fear shaming and because of the stigma around fear, we are now fighting fear or trying to conquer and overcome it. We're now fleeing fear. Like, I don't want to feel fear, so I'm not going to do this thing. You know, fear is not making us not do the thing. It's our unwillingness to feel fear. We're freezing in the face of fear. Like, oh my gosh, I'm afraid and I don't know what to do about this. So I'm just going to freeze and my, like the guitarist, all of a sudden his fingers don't work. And fear is supposed to help us deal with the situation, but we see the situation as the fear itself. And so the second woman climbing up the ladder, she's like, There's the trapeze, there's the ladder, there's the heights, there's all of that. The fear is there to help you make sure you pay attention to what the instructor is saying. You climb the ladder using both hands, like you don't mess this up. Like this is a situation where you need to be present and focused. But she feels her fear and it's there and she's in resistance to it. And now she's freezing and she can't move in the face of the fear. It's like the trapeze is long forgotten. The only thing that she's like, the fear is the problem. Or she's fleeing it, like she goes back down the ladder. And she's embarrassed, too, because, I mean, there's a fear if you do it. There's also fear if you don't do it. Like, what does it mean about me that I wouldn't get on this trapeze? So, yes, I'm feeling less fear because 
I'm not up on the trapeze about to jump off, but I'm feeling afraid of what this means about my character and who I am as a person. So there's fear if you do something, there's fear if you don't. Like just watching this all go down, it's just fascinating. Anyway, I've been talking for a while. <laughs> no, this is why we're having the conversation. I love it. I also love that you mentioned Stephen Kotler, his work, you've done things with him. There's a powerful part where I think of it the same way that when we talk about flow states, I feel fear and adversity can become that trigger for that flow state if we have these other boxes sort of ticked in the process. Can you speak to that a little bit? And I'll ask you this selfishly, how can we get into a flow state as a writer? Because that's a physical thing, but there's a very intellectual component to it. But there's also the physicality where we're able to get into those flow states. And I know that I've asked you like a thousand different things at those statements, but how are we able to use that to kind of trigger some of this flow that everybody is trying to get to elusively? Okay, lots of things to discuss. I'll address flow for starters. So I mentioned that if you kink the hose, it causes problems in your life. And I'll give an equation that depicts that. But if you are in flow with your fear, then you live your biggest life. And I'll give you an equation to support that as well. So the equation of the hose kinking is suffering equals discomfort times resistance. So let's say you're about to give a speech and your level of discomfort is 10 out of 10. And then you're in resistance to the discomfort, a level 10. And it's the resistance to it that actually feels so awful, not the discomfort. Well, it still feels uncomfortable, but I don't want to talk too long. So 10 times 10, you're suffering a lot. But the discomfort, you can't get rid of that. You're about to give a speech. Of course, you're going to feel uncomfortable. But if you lower your resistance to, let's say, a level one or a level two, because you're always going to resist it. It's discomfort. So what's 10 times one? It's a lot less suffering. Suffering equals discomfort times resistance. So resistance is the only thing where it's actually taught in our society to resist, resist, resist. Whatever you resist persists, leads to a lot of suffering. So there's actually four levels, well, five levels I've determined on how to deal with fear or any kind of discomfort. It could be cold, it could be heat, it could be pain, anger, you name it. If you're in resistance to it, it's going to lead to a lot of suffering. Next level is noticing it, like just even being willing to be aware of the fact that you have fear. Now, that's the second level. The third level is acceptance. And there are a lot of self-help gurus that say that you need to accept fear as part of your life, comma. I mentioned before, beware of the commas. But you can't let it get the better of you. And boom, we're right back to level one, the resistance. <laughs> so it's like we're, yeah, we're heading in the right direction. But acceptance, period. Like that roommate is not going to go anywhere. And then level Four is where you stop dealing with your emotions intellectually and you start dealing with them emotionally, where you now embrace or are willing to feel your fear or your pain or your cold or the heat. Next thing you know, you're not in your head dealing with it. And like emotions want to be felt. So I would say level four is more than anything feeling and Robin, like feeling the energy of Robin. And then level five is where we go to the other side and talk about flow. So Dogen Zenji is a very famous Zen master who lived 900 years ago. And he has a quote, enlightenment is intimacy with all things. Now, nobody uses the word enlightenment anymore. It's kind of a cheesy word now. We've replaced it, though, with flow. It's pretty much the same thing, slight difference. So to modify his quote, flow is intimacy with all things. So a gardener, what's happening out there? They get into a flow state. There's no fear involved but they're 
having intimacy with the garden or the plants or the day or the moment or the earth. So that's their flow state. For other people, they like a little bit more excitement in their lives. They like adventure. They're more innately drawn towards having experiences that are out of their comfort zone or they're in the mood to be out of their comfort zone. So the equation for flow is flow equals whatever you're feeling plus intimacy, level five. So resistance leads to suffering. Intimacy leads to flow. And so Stephen Kotler, we were having a talk where he's one of my best friends. We'd spend hours on the phone sometimes. And he's like, oh, you know, when there's fear involved, flow comes for free was what he said. I said, oh, no, that's not true. There's a price. <laughs> there's right. a price. Well, no, there's not a price. Here's what it is. I said, if there's fear and you have intimacy with it, flow comes for free. So there needs to be that intimacy. And so that's what happened during my ski career is that I, first of all, not only was willing to feel fear, but I really liked feeling fear. I was actually addicted, but that's another conversation. I had some serious problems. I was addicted to fear. I didn't realize that at the time, but it was as strong of an addiction as heroin can be. But then I had intimacy with the fear and it took me into the zone, the flow state, like that heightened state of just fully being present and on point intuitive reaction without thought. And I was in my body because I was willing to feel the fear, which is a better place to perform than your head. That was the magic. That was the magic behind Alex Hunold, who's Fisola El Capitan. That's the magic behind Laird Hamilton, big wave surfer. That's the magic behind business leaders, people who run the world that they don't even know about. They have intimacy with fear. But there's also typically a paradox going on where they're also in resistance to it. And when you make your life all about one thing, can you have intimacy and resistance to it at the same time? Well, anybody that's married will tell you that, yes, you can. (laughs) (laughs) So like Elon Musk, obviously the guy's having a love affair with fear. And he is in resistance to it because he's probably so far out of his comfort zone most of the time. He doesn't know how to be in flow with his fear. He can't sleep at night. His fear is keeping him up, recirculating around and around. So he's, he has a paradox going on. So it's, everybody's different. Everybody's different. Some people are completely in flow with fear, very rare. Some people are completely in resistance and then there's everything in between. And then how that relationship with fear manifests in your life then becomes more clear once you start to see what kind of problems you have. And then the last thing I want to say, going back to your book, The Gift of Adversity, there's a big difference between how people react to fear that they choose, like, okay, I'm going to get on this roller coaster, versus fear that gets imposed on them that they didn't choose, like mugged at gunpoint. And so fear is not an adversity, but those kinds of trauma that we go through, rape and abuse, and you've gone through a dark night of the soul experience. I just went through a dark night of the soul experience where I was just pickled in fear. And see, here's the thing. There is no such thing as good or bad fear. It's just fear. It's the same exact thing if it's on a roller coaster as it is when you're mugged. But we're less able to be in flow with it when we've been mugged because we feel like a victim to the situation. And then we feel like I didn't choose this. I don't want this fear. God damn it. And and so the real key then becomes that people learn how to be in flow with their fear during adversity or during trauma as well, which is a much harder thing to do 
and another conversation entirely. I couldn't agree more. It's like you said, we'd have to unpack that for another couple of hours to be able to get to that place. But it's a powerful point to take into consideration to understand that, like you said, the resistance to this thing actually amplifies the strength of it, trying to get away from it. For me in my TEDx, I say that adversity shows up unannounced at the most inopportune time without apology. It couldn't care less about what you want. It doesn't give a damn about your feelings. And adversity doesn't take no for an answer the same way fear doesn't. We don't get to choose a flavor of what it is. It's simply there. But if we can step under that cold shower, that's very cold. The fear is that this is going to be uncomfortable. Like you said, it's the buildup of what we feel the fear will be that creates that resistance to it. But if we can just breathe into it, accept it, let it be there. As you say, now it can flow through us. It can do all these things. And it's a powerful, powerful emotion. And like you said, there's a reason why it's there. We wouldn't have the capacity to create these emotions unless they were there to do something for us, if we're willing to see it from that Dogen elevated, enlightened, quote unquote, flow spot to help us truly harness it in the positive capacity. Right. And it's like when you say things like there's a reason why it's there, it's up to us to harness it. The concern is that then people are in their heads trying to figure out what the reason is, or they're trying to figure out how to harness it. And we're right back into dealing with our emotions intellectually. And so the thing about fear is adversity and you don't need to understand it. Like emotional intelligence is seen as our ability to understand our emotions and control them. Well, you're never going to be able to understand, like pick an adversity, like a soldier, you know, who's gone through an accident and they lose a leg, let's say, or they get paralyzed, wink, wink, or they just go through a divorce. I mean, it could be anything. It could be that there's no end inside of things that are going to be traumatic and nobody is without trauma in their life. I think that we tend to single ourselves out and feel sorry for ourselves. Like, oh my gosh, I've had such a hard life. We've all had hard lives. Even people who haven't had a hard life and had idyllic childhoods, they're fucked up too. And it's like they now live under unrealistic ideals of what like relationships look like and and they get traumatized all over the place. It's just trauma happens, trauma happens, trauma happens. So he's a soldier that goes through whatever trauma he goes through. He didn't choose it. Although... I mean, when you sign up for a life of service, when you sign up for a life of jumping off cliffs for a living, you are choosing it. You are choosing it. It's like, I want to have an exciting life. So this looks exciting and and I want to serve my country. And like risk takers sign up for military service. We'll just put it that way. And then they're trained not to deal with their emotions, their fear, their anger, all of that in boot camp. They don't even need to go to boot camp. We're all trained at this point, but it, it gets solidified and then they go and and a lot of people that come home from service they didn't even experience combat or anything they they may have even had a desk job but they still have PTSD so what is that well you go through any kind of challenge or turmoil or trauma or what have you adversity kink the hose emotions now stuck in your system round and round and then you get handed a puppy and oh this will make you happy no that's not going to unkink the hose oh let's take you surfing you know oh that's nice but it's not going to unkink the hose it's just band-aids and then a lot of these soldiers this is an interesting phenomenon they'll go and get a motorcycle and they'll drive 120 miles an hour on their motorcycle and it's the only time that they feel like they have any control over their lives like what is that it's because it's their choosing to have fear versus it being a victim of the fear. 
so it gives them a sense of control. It's bizarre, but it's not bizarre once you really understand what's going on. And they're also prone to excitement. They want to have an adventurous life. Anyway, everybody's different. And I don't want to give a stereotype or anything, but we see that. So the way to handle it is to first deal with the resistance to feeling the emotions, because that's like the outermost jacket. Like, I don't even want to deal with this. And then once you kind of sort out that jacket, like what's underneath, what's the jacket underneath that? Well, it may be anger. And then, okay, well, beneath that is fear. And beneath that is sadness. And here's the thing. You don't need to go back and live the trauma. You don't need to dissect where it came from, where the emotion comes from. You don't need to figure out what you're afraid of or what you're angry about. None of that matters. Because the second you think you understand something, it just changes anyway. It could be something completely different. The only thing that matters is what is your relationship with fear and anger and resistance and, and just that awareness and acceptance and then being intimate with all, them all, including the resistance. It just like these things just start to dissipate and move out of your system 10 to 90 seconds. They're gone. I mean, it's just so fast. Some people get really addicted to the drama of fighting their emotions. Some people get a huge payoff for being at war with their emotions. You know, they don't have to engage in life in a bigger way or they get a lot of support from a loved one. It's a way to remain close. Like I just went through a divorce and it's like, I don't want to get too much in flow with my emotions because the buildup of the emotions in my body is the only connection I still have to my ex-husband, whom I love so much. And it's like, I don't want to move past the experience because that's my reach circulating emotions of fear and anger and sadness is the only connection I still have to him. So it's like, there's so many payoffs. So it's very, very rare to find somebody that's actually willing to do the work to get back and flow with their emotions. Like I said, everybody's different. What I do is for a living is broker a conversation between a soldier and their fear, a soldier and their anger and their sadness, and just see what is there and what the payoff is. And are we at the tipping point where you're willing to do the work to get back and flow with the emotions again and let go of the payoff that you've been keeping around for so long? And the answer oftentimes is no. So this is work for warriors and people become really addicted to feeling like a victim. There's a lot of self-righteousness and they don't want to deal with their fear. They don't want to deal with their emotions. And so they're making everybody else deal with them on their behalf. But whenever somebody's ready, though, this work is available and I'm here to help. And I love that you do that. I also love, and I know that you have to go, but I also love that you and I were discussing that once we get to that place of that acceptance, that's when we can have the genuine gratitude, not the fake artificial bullshit gratitude. But that's part of all of it too. Like you said, it's in conjunction with that. If we're willing to allow it to enter. How's this for a bold statement? I think gratitude practice is one of the worst things that have happened to <laughs> Western society because it's spiritual bypassing and it's turning into toxic positivity. I mean, I'm a big fan of gratitude. I'm even a big fan of gratitude practice, but it should be step B, not step A. Step A should be learning how to be in flow with discomfort, even intimate with it. And then the gratitude is just going to organically show up, like you just mentioned, and like I'm starting to experience after my dark night of the soul. And you don't have to practice it. It just shows up. But you can't get there unless you do step A. I'm a big fan of just being willing to go into the darkness. Actually, I'll finish with a story. <laughs> I was at the Walmart parking lot the other day. This guy, it was right at dusk. He looked really distraught. I'm like, what's going on? He said, I lost my keys. 
I'm like, well, I'll help you find them, you know, and we set up a grid pattern and walk the entire parking lot, starting to get darker and darker. We meet in the center after about a half an hour, no keys. I'm like, well, that didn't work. You know, let's go to plan B. Where did you last see your keys? Let's retrace your steps. He goes, well, you know that bar over on State Street? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, well, I parked outside the bar, went inside the bar, had a beer, came back out, no keys. I'm like, well, that bar's like half a mile from here. Why are we looking here for your keys? And he goes, well, the light is better here. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Obviously, I made that story up. But it's like we're looking for what we want only where there's light. And we're not going to find it unless we're willing to go and look in the darkness. I love that. Yeah. So the key to finding peace and happiness and expanding to your greatest potential is by being willing to feel your fear, by being willing to go into the suck that comes from adversity and, and just being in flow with it all, having intimacy with it all. It's how I was able to walk, work through a tremendous amount of pain and suffering. Well, not suffering, but just pain while I went through my dark night of the soul experience in the last year and a half. And I can't believe how fast I'm through the other side of it. It was not pleasant. It's like it doesn't feel good. It's not a gift. Well, it is a gift because it actually breaks you in half and transforms you into who you're supposed to be next. Manure is great at the base of a plant, (laughs) right? Helps us grow. Lots of analogies, lots of stories. Thank you for having me on the show, Marcus. Of course. Where can we find out more about you? Tell us about your website, social, and on those places that we can actually sign up for your May 13th through 15th Salt Lake City event. Is that where we can find them? Yes. So my website is kristenolmer.com. I have a free fear and anxiety assessment, and I suggest taking this to figure out what type you are gives lots of practical advice on what to do based on where you are. And you may think you have one relationship with fear and you may find out that you have another that you didn't realize. And then my event is listed on my website under events. Look for it. There's going to be hiking involved. I also do these in the sport of skiing. I just is a way to get people outside and embody the experience. This is not a heady experience. This is about learning how to be in flow with your emotions and really becoming super clear about what your relationship is with fear and what is the next step for you to improve that relationship so that you feel better and start taking more risks and able to sleep better at night and just get along better with other people and on and on. It is really, really cool. It's an amazing experience. If you're ready, I'm here for you. I love it. Thank you so much for being on today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Okta Nonverba. This message resonates with you. Please share it out with others on social media. Hit that subscribe button and leave a review for the show anywhere you listen to podcasts. To learn more, please go to MarcusAureliusAnderson.com and join his Octa Nonverba Inner Circle to get exclusive content, news, and information. Until next time, remember talk is cheap. Live your life based on actions, not words.